Vivo qualitative data analysis software empowers researchers around the world to discover rich insights within their qualitative data. This podcast gives you unique insights into the methods, the processes, and the passions of researchers. Welcome to the InVivo podcast, Between the Data. Welcome to the InVivo podcast, Between the Data. I'm Stacey Penna, the InVivo Community Director. For today's podcast, we'll be discussing the practices and perils of qualitative data reuse with Cheryl Poth, professor and award-winning instructor and author at the University of Alberta. So welcome, Cheryl. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Stacey. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk about this topic because I think it's really interesting. Um, so in your editorial, so I'm going to start here, in Rigorous and Ethical Qualitative Data Reuse, Potential Perils and Promising Practices, published in the SAGE Journal, International Journal of Qualitative Methods, uh, you talk about qualitative data reuse, but our listeners might, have more fami- might be more familiar with the term secondary qualitative analysis. Uh, can you tell us about the practice uh, you, you're referring to and any similarities and differences between secondary analysis, qualitative analysis? Did that- sure. So qualitative data reuse is when you're just using qualitative data for analysis different from what the data was generally gathered for. So both of those terms, secondary and reuse, are really similar. Thank you. That that cleared up because I, when I was reading the editorial, I saw both. So I, that's one reason I, I needed yeah. to get it clear too. Um, so what are the benefits of secondary qualitative analysis? So there are lots of benefits. Let me tell you about three of them. First, for a researcher who's accessing data, let's call them the data reuse researcher. There is a cost and time effectiveness to it. And don't you think we can all appreciate that? It saves them the cost and time to go through all the processes involved in data collection, from seeking funding and ethical approvals to recruitment, developing protocols, and actually collecting, and in some cases, transcribing the narrative data. In my experience, this benefits the most veteran researcher as well as someone completing a thesis because it allows them to focus more on the analysis. So often I see a huge investment in collecting and a hurried analysis. The second benefit, I think, is for researchers who provide access to their data. And so because I refer to the initial study in which a data was collected as the origin research, I'm going to call this person the origin researcher. They benefit from having their data literally used again. Another analysis or combining data can provide new insights. And then the third we can't forget about is society, because society can actually benefit. If the data was collected, let's say especially during a funded project, then society gets added value from their initial investment. And if a researcher brings new perspectives and generates new insights with implications for advancing, let's say theory, practice, clinical practice, or uh, teaching practice, or even methods, then we're all helped by this work. So I hope it's clear that I'm a supporter of qualitative data reuse, and it's just that we need to be more active in mitigating the potential pitfalls and ethical issues. So is, is this becoming more of a common practice, are you finding? I do, and, that's, and, and that kind of fits really nicely with if you asked me where we thought the future was going. And I think part of that is because I think it's going to become more prevalent. I think because of all of the qualitative data that exists in the public domain, especially through social media and blogs, 
I also see the use of qualitative data repositories as increasing. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing that as even a funding um, requirement to make your data available if I can. So it's not just quantitative data anymore. Mm -hmm. It's also qualitative. Mm -hmm. And when we think about the differences between qualitative and quantitative data, there are some things we have to consider because, of course, in qualitative, people can tell their stories. And so when we go to put data in a repository, how much do we, you know, take out of the context of the data in order to make sure that confidentiality is protected? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And researchers might differ as to how much or how little. And we just want to make sure that the folks who agreed to participate in our research perhaps know that that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Uh, so um, so what are some of the ethical issues you sort of are talking a little bit about that um, when you're telling stories and everything that, uh, you know, the ethical issues that need to be considered when conducting secondary qualitative analysis or qualitative data reuse? So this isn't an editorial, but I've recently finished writing a book on research ethics within this series, Quick Little Books. And so I talk a lot in that book about the three principles. And so this is one of those moments where what you've been working on permeates the thinking out of this, because that's naturally what kind of happens. So let me start with those three um, principles that guide ethical research. And I want to connect those to what we're talking about. So the first ethical principle is the respect for persons, which has to do with the treatment of persons and their data involved in the research process. And one of the key ethical issues involves ensuring free and informed consent. So if we relate this to the quality of data reuse, then we should know what the participants agreed to participate in in the origin study and how their consent was documented. I mean, were the participants even told in the consent form that this was a possibility? And so I think if we're thinking about future practices, why don't we include the potential for data reuse in all of our consent forms? The second ethical issue uh, principle is the concern for welfare, which is about the protection of participants by we talk about this idea about balancing or minimizing harm and maximizing benefits of the research. And one of the key ethical issues we've already touched on that relates to protecting privacy and confidentiality. So if we relate this to the quality of data we use, then we should know in what state and format the data was collected and it was received by the reuser. And that what were the procedures taken to, you know, anonymize the data and actually secure it for this data reuse piece. And then our third ethical principle is the concern for justice. And I think this one is particularly interesting because it refers to the need to treat people fairly and equitably. So among the key ethical issues here is this idea about reducing sources of bias in researchers, participants and design. So if we relate this to quality of data reuse, then we should know how recruitment was undertaken, how criteria for selection was done, and how it was planned and also done, and then how the origin sample is adequate to address this data reuse question. So again, it's that we don't always talk enough about how the sampling affects what we can say from the data. So in, in the editorial I mentioned before, um, you described six potential ethical perils and qualitative data reuse. Um, and so I, maybe you already talked about some of these. Are there more in that editorial than you just mentioned? Or did your thinking maybe change from the editorial? It's funny that you say that. So I kind of had, I wondered, I, I, I kind of laid um, two of them on each other. So I have three to kind of talk about. So in case, um, 
listeners haven't had a chance to read the editorial, let me briefly explain the context of that, because I actually think it's important. Of, um, I was inspired to write the editorial by my role as an examiner on a graduate student thesis because it had used existing qualitative data. And I faced a dilemma because the written thesis lacked a whole bunch of methodological details that I thought were essential to the understanding of the study that only became apparent during the oral exam. And so some of the details were things like she had participated in the data collection that, uh, and that the data collection, the origin research had been led by her supervisor and that any information about the purpose, rationale for methods and procedures that were undertaken were not included. And the dilemma was intensified for me by the unanimous resistance from the examining committee to my request to augment the methodological details in the written thesis. And so the examining committee argued that it was adequate to simply adopt the conventions for reporting the secondary analysis of quantitative data. The strong resistance added, you know, suggested perhaps a lack of recognizing that the decisions of their origin study affect the data reuse study and that qualitative research is different, that there's certain characteristics that make it different. So I always think that whatever an issue comes out of practice that it particularly gets me really interested. So let me begin with recognizing that not every data use project will have access to the information I'm gonna say is good practice at this moment in time. But I suggest either making these limitations clear when you're doing a data research project or going forward, let's consider them as practices that we might adopt. So for example, as data reuse researchers, we are so reliant on the origin researchers to have followed the procedures described in what they said in their own um, ethical application, and their willingness to disclose any departures. So relatedly, we are reliant on the origin researchers to have gained free and informed consent and to have documented it appropriately. That's a big reliance. And then as we know, a key characteristic of qualitative research is the role the researcher plays as an instrument. And so the origin researchers rapport with the, science, with the site and the participants affects the quality of the data collected and their willingness to describe their approach then, you know, does, and any sampling limitations that, that they have does affect what you then as a data reuse person have. So the other piece of that is that we're reliant on the origin researchers to have minimized disruptions so that the data that they're collecting really is, if I can, authentic to the situation and to the issue in which they're doing. And so finally, let's talk briefly about the qualitative methods and how the protocols guide the data that is collected. And so we're reliant on the fact that the origin researchers used appropriate methods and avoided bias in their data. So this means an awful lot of reliance as a data reuse researcher on the origin study. So the more information we can have and maybe even interaction with those, those researchers, I think the, the better we are to be able to defend and, um, and maybe provide even um, credible insights when we do another analysis. Yes, that's interesting because when I, a long time ago, when I did my own uh, case study, you know, you get so involved with the participants and, you know, they're, what they're telling you. So I, th I think it would be challenging if you weren't doing that yourself and relying on somebody else's data. So what you're, so it sounds like you're suggesting if you, if they, if you're, I'm doing secondary analysis, if I can be closer with the original researcher makes it better then. 
or more, maybe not better, but it's, it's maybe easier for me as a researcher to be able to formulate my own analysis. Well, even like, like, like let's consider a practice you could do. If you yeah. were submitting your data to a repository, imagine if as the origin researcher, you included a summary of the research, maybe your purpose, your mm-hmm. rationale, a little bit of things about what went expected or unexpected. And then maybe you even include contact information. Mm. to be accessible for lingering questions. And also perhaps part of the the obligation is to let the origin researcher know that you're using their data. Mm. I think that that would actually be a really mutually beneficial, you know, kind yeah. of um, idea. So I think that so I think you're sort of going into our, our next question around um, what are some of the qualitative reuse practices you would re- recommend researchers to use? Well, in any study, in any yeah. reported data reuse study, I'd like to see more information about the origin study. And then, you know, and as much as you can. And then I also think um, if you intend to submit your data to, re- to a repository, then include the intention for the data reuse in your consent procedures. Finally, uh, I think this is something that I've experienced recently with my own graduate students that when allowing individuals access to your data as an origin researcher, perhaps you want to consider, we call them memorandums of understanding, but it really is just a little bit of a written document about if I'm going to give you access, you tell me how you're going to use it. And then, and and there might be some, some conditions. And so one of the things that that can do as an origin researcher is that can give you confidence that the data is going to be secured in the way that you've promised and also, um, maybe you're providing some boundaries as to how it can be used. Because, you know, one of the ways that I think is going to happen in qualitative data reuse is we're going to begin to see more of combining different data sets. And that both, I think, has some great potential, as well as, okay, can they be combined? Should they be combined? Um, and I also see some great potential in the future for even mixed method studies. You know, we, you know, we, I think we can do big data studies uh, in mixed methods. And always the question that we come back to in mixed methods is, you know, what's the relationship between the samples? So if you can kind of defend that, then I think there's some really neat potential, particularly with information that's in the public domain. Interesting. But yeah, that, I, I like that idea with the mixed methods and then it could open up whole different studies by combining them, which is really exciting. We'll take a quick break from the podcast to inform you that you can find Dr. Post's soon-to-be-published book, Research Ethics Little Quick Fix, through Sage Publications in January 2021. Uh, so you you hit or uh, you talked a little bit about this um, at the beginning about uh, you know what you foresee as a future for qualitative data reuse and if you can elaborate more, especially with the archiving, because I, I find that really interesting. I think we're going to see more of that. Um, And what I haven't seen yet, you know, other than that you should be doing this is actually guidelines about the contextual information. And I'd like to see this in quantitative as well, you know, a little bit more about, you know, under what purpose, because even in quantitative, I mean, the questions that we ask are directing, and that's certainly um, the case in qualitative. And so when we talk about, um, the, that, you know, making sure we understand the context, boy, if we don't understand the context, the, the sampling techniques, the, you know, all of those things about what we're trying to find, then there is a danger that we could 
actually misinterpret, if I can, some of the some of our findings. And so I think we have so much data at our fingertips. I also wonder about fatigue of participants. Do we now not need to be thinking more about what we're asking of people um, in terms of their time, their energy? If it's available, you know, maybe we we want to maybe, you know, do follow-up studies rather than all, orig- you know, original studies, if I can. Mm-hmm. So we know this, but what do we not know from this population or from, or from this, or what, what else do we want to kind of further probe? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those things are going to become really interesting. And I just think we have more data at our fingertips um, and available. So I also think the confidentiality piece, I think as a, as a public member, we want to be careful what we're putting out there. Mm-hmm. Um, we also want to be careful as researchers that we're, I mean, anybody can blog anything, <laughs> you know, and so part of that is we are limited to the data as to what people choose to tell us. So we have to be careful of the assumptions that we make. Um, you know, perhaps somebody is, you know, posting this in a particular emotional state. So we can't extrapolate that to being their emotional state all the time. Um, you know, and so I think we we, we want to be able to gather um, some information like that. But I do know that uh, at least, you know, um, that lots of companies are are doing more, if I can, qualitative data scraping. Mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and things like that. I mean, there is, of course, the debate about, you know, is a tweet really qualitative data? You know, is there enough context? I think, I think, mm-hmm. I think it's a type of qualitative data, if I can. Mm-hmm. So, and do you mind if I ask a little more about the archiving? Because there are groups in different countries, uh, um, you know, archiving this data. Can you just talk a little bit about how they're doing that? And, and they must have guidelines, I'm guessing with some of it or, or not, not as much. Okay. So I, and, and again, I haven't seen any kind of guideline. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that, that there are some, but there certainly isn't any mega, meta, you know, right. guidelines either. So mm-hmm. it is a little bit of when you go into a data set, just like you do mm-hmm. when I go into, for example, in Canada or stats Canada, you know uh, you know, I, I can have some confidence in that, um, repository because of of who's generated the data. Mm-hmm. So we just have to be a good consumer mm-hmm. of, if I can, the repositories. Uh, and I'd like to see the repositories ask for just a little bit more information about who, how, and what. Maybe mm-hmm. the data was originally um, mm-hmm. uh, um, collected before. Mm-hmm. And have you uh, archived any of your research, any of those repositories yet? Not a public one yet, but I'm certainly open to it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I've been kind of investigating where, to be honest, as a researcher, where is your best place mm-hmm. for the data to exist? Um, and I do know that there's been some funding in Canada uh, around kind of setting up these repositories. Um, and so that's been fairly recent. So I think that that's going to come, mm-hmm. um, you know, definitely. And, uh, and, and again, it's going to be that secure storage mm-hmm. of information uh, and so I, I do think it has to be done, if I can, um, by folks who know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yep, that makes sense. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, and then uh, my last question is, I always like to ask my um, sure. researchers this, that interview, um, if you could give researchers one piece of advice when conducting qualitative data reuse, what would it be? Oh, gosh, I, I really do think it's like, you know, bio beware, 
you know, if you're going to use data, then get to know as much as you can about the data set you intend to use and be upfront about the relational distance you have. If you ha if you know very little about it, tell us that, you know, if you help collect the data, tell us that mm -hmm. um, if I can. And then, you know, just include as much as you can about it. Um, in and make sure that, you know, you're open about what the limitations are. I mean, I think sometimes people think data limitations are a bad thing. Data limitations exist everywhere. And, and I think all it is, is uh, it's really important for researchers to learn how to um, put forth their or advance their insights, but couch it within what is reasonable, a reasonable interpretation. That's great. Thank you. So thank you, Dr. Poth. I appreciate your time. And I'm sure our listeners uh, you know, learned a lot about um, the practices and perils of qualitative data re reuse. Thank you so much, Stacey, for having me. And uh, I look forward to seeing how the data reuse kind of changes over time. Me too. Be very interesting. Thank you for joining us for Between the Data. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more about InVivo podcasts and community events, please visit go.invivobyqsr.com slash community or email me, Stacy Penna, at s.penna, P-E-N-N-A, at qsrinternational.com.